There are a few things worse than a rhino. And I'm not talking about a rhinoceros here. We're talking about a Republican in name only. There are a lot of them running around, but there may never have been one worse than Matthew Dowd. He ran the Bush-Cheney campaign in 2004, and I guess he passed himself off as a conservative back then. He's not that, but I can tell you what he is. And now, it's time for The Jerk of the Week, starring John Steigerwald. Yeah, Matthew has uh, successfully, at times, passed himself off as a Republican and a conservative. And, of course, he's been used as a token by uh, This Week show with George Stephanopoulos. He's been on MSNBC every now and then. And they like him because he says things like this. Over the Easter holidays... And the Easter holidays, the entire message of the Gospels of the Easter holidays was love one another. And I've said this before, and I'll say it again. If Jesus Christ was alive today, he would be called a groomer. He would be called woke. And he would be called a socialist if he was alive today. If he was speaking the message he spoke in the Gospels today about treating everybody with dignity, Jesus Christ hung around with prostitutes and tax collectors. He was nailed to a cross because he spoke on behalf of the most marginalized people in the Middle East. And by the way, uh, Matthew Dowd, he did finally come clean last year, ran as a Democrat for lieutenant governor of Texas. He dropped out after three months. But, uh, you know, you can can, uh, tell by that message that he just gave you there, that little soundbite, that Matthews wants to make sure that you know that he's a Christian through and through, and he's upset when he hears evangelical Republicans invoking the name of Jesus. Well, did you notice anything missing from those examples that he gave about Christ? He left out the one thing that all Democrats leave out when they talk about God or religion. Abortion. And nobody ever seems to want to ask them how Jesus would feel about that. How would Jesus feel about abortion, Matthew? Never ask him. Might make them a little uncomfortable. But Matthew Dowd, trying to get away with it, makes him this week's Windows R Us Jerk of the Week. The Jerk of the Week is brought to you by Windows R Us, Pittsburgh's premier exterior replacement company. Expert repair and replacement for windows, roofs, siding, doors, gutters, and downspouts. Why pay double? Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. And when we come back, we're going to talk about one of my favorite people, Sarah Palin with Selena Zito, who talked to her about her run for Congress. And in our second half hour, we're going to talk to a former assistant to Ronald Reagan about how the U.S. and NATO probably aren't doing the people of Ukraine any favors. Stick around. When it's time to replace your roof, siding, gutters, and downspouts, entry doors, and, of course, windows, you can count on Windows R Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwall. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows R Us offers repair and replacement for all your exterior home projects. Why pay double with some other companies? Windows R Us will always give you the best price on the best in-class products, backed by the best warranties in the industry, all with zero sales pressure. And speaking of zero... 
Right now, get zero interest financing for 12 months and no processing fee with prices set to increase on all exterior products. Lock in your quote today. Schedule a free estimate and inspection today at windowsrustpittsburgh.com. You've tried the rest, now try the best. windowsrustpittsburgh.com. I endorsed another person today, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz. President Trump endorsed Dr. Mehmet Oz for Senate. Why? Because President Trump knows who the real conservative is who's going to shake up Washington. It's not David McCormick, the liberal pro-Biden, pro-China Wall Street insider. David McCormick praised Biden, is funded by Democrats, and admits he was never a Trump supporter, all while telling his friends back on Wall Street that his so-called conservative principles are just an act. President Trump knows the real conservative is Dr. Oz. Trump calls Dr. Mehmet Oz smart, tough, and someone who will never let us down. I endorsed another person today, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Dr. Oz. Endorsed by Trump, the conservative fighter Pennsylvania needs Dr. Oz for U.S. Senate. I'm Dr. Mehmet Oz. I candidate for U.S. Senate, and I approve this message. Paid for by Dr. Oz for Senate. Dr. Gorka here, and you know me. I am very cynical about products, especially those that claim to help people suffering from pain. So when I tell you that Relief Factor truly works, I want you to know that I mean it. I suffered from a stiff lower back for almost a decade, one so painful it made it difficult to kneel in church on Sundays. When I finally decided to give Relief Factor a try, I didn't ever imagine that I would find myself free of the pain. But that's what happened. Now I take Relief Factor every day. Almost 70% of the more than half a million people who have tried Relief Factor end up ordering more. That's because it works for them the way it worked for me. Isn't it time for you to get out of pain? Your first step to becoming pain-free should be to order the three-week quick start for the discounted price of only $19.95. Go to relieffactor.com or call 800-4-RELIEF to find out more about this offer. Feel the difference. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Well, Sarah Palin's back in business, uh, in the politics business. She's running for Congress in Alaska. And if she wins, of course, liberals' heads will be exploding. Probably some Republicans, too. Uh, Selena Zito of the Washington Examiner, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. And in this case, the New York Post has been covering her since she ran for governor in 2008. And she joins us now. The piece that you wrote, uh, Selena, was in the New York Post. Thanks for being here. 
Oh, thanks for having me. Well, maybe as you know, she first re- she ran for governor in 2006. She uh, beat right. Lisa Murkowski's father yeah. in that race, and no one saw her coming. She had no institutional support whatsoever, meaning establishment support. Um, Murkowski had it in spades, and yet she um, she came in there. She had been a city. Mayor, she'd been Wasilla's mayor. She'd been on city council in Wasilla, and she had been on the, uh, I believe it's called the Oil and Gas Commission. Um, and she just ran and she won. And that was sort of, as I wrote in my book, that was the beginning of the conservative populist movement, even though Republicans lost up and down the ballot in that 2006 midterms. Well, here's the thing. Um, uh, you, you were there in 2006. I said 2008. I was wrong. And obviously, she ran for VP in 2008. Uh, but in 2006, uh, nobody outside of Alaska had ever heard, had heard of her uh, at that point. What possessed you to go to Alaska to cover her in the governor's race way back then? I had, you know, I was watching uh, Republicans down ballot losing. You could tell they were going to lose the midterms. However, they were losing mid. They were losing House seats. Think Melissa Hart to Jason Altmaier. Um, uh, you know they were losing these House seats to very conservative Democrats. Democrats that were pro-life, pro-gun, about fiscal responsibility and pro-military. And so what? What that moment was telling me was is it wasn't that voters weren't conservative anymore. They just were anti-establishment. And so that's what made me then pay attention to Palin's race against Murkowski in um, in that 2006 gubernatorial race. Yeah. And um, before we get to what she's doing now, what did you think of her back then when you went up there? Again, she was a nobody back then. Well, I understood that the conservative movement was changing. Now, remember, this was before the Tea Party. Yeah. They understood that blue-collar people and working-class people were now more attracted to conservatism than they had been in the past. You know, political uh, politics is like tectonic plates, right? Mm-hmm. They shift and move ever so slightly. And I was, to me, seeing the beginnings of what eventually became the conservative populist movement ahead of the 2016 presidential election. Remember, I mean, in my book, I wrote uh, Donald Trump was not did not cause that 2016 election. He was the result of that movement. And that movement has not only uh, continued uh, and and grown, you know, even though he lost in 2020. um, If you look down ballot at races, even just if you just take our state. And you look at the state house races, the state senate races, the congressional races, the two statewide elected row offices. Conservative center right um, um, politics has expanded. Uh, not it has not shrunk. There was a pause in 2018 in those midterms, uh, but that had a lot to do with Trump's comportment and not to do with people not being center right. Yeah, and. Um, she, uh, was, uh, she must, you have to respect her political instincts because after she had become uh, the VP nominee and then went through everything that everybody knows she went through and got divorced and 
you know, the media trashing her and making fun of her and all that. Um, she was one of the first people to take Donald Trump seriously and, and say that she, she was supporting him. And, and right. everybody was laughing at uh, Donald Trump at the time. She said, he's my guy. Yeah, that was in January of 2016, right ahead of the back-to-back Iowa caucuses and New Hampshire primary. Now, while Trump did not win the Iowa caucus, he did make it a very close race with Ted Cruz, and he did win over evangelical voters. That's why there's an entire chapter on my book um, about uh, about the evangelical vote and and why you know I was standing there in Iowa and I was and I was just like oh yeah this is changing yeah well, <laughs> um, even though he did not win that race he did he got an enormous amount of evangelical support something that nobody saw coming well she beat Lisa Murkowski as you uh, Lisa Murkowski's dad in that race. And Lisa yeah. Murkowski, of course, is a senator, and uh, I think she's being primaried, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the, that should make a pretty interesting dynamic uh, in this election coming up. Um, with, um, with the, what's the dynamic between Palin and Murkowski right now? I mean, she beat her dad. <laughs> yeah, Murkowski has no love for Sarah Palin. Right. I will tell you, her father handled the loss very graciously and with great grace. Um, um, her daughter, his daughter, not so much, yeah. um, but you, we know we're all that way about our parents, right? Yeah, right we're right. very protective of our parents. And, um, so their relationship is essentially non-existent. Um, but you know, she has to run in a primary and then a general election within weeks of each other. There are 50 people on the ballot. This is, you're talking about Palin um, now. Yeah. Palin, yeah, with Palin. Yeah. So you know, it's gonna it's gonna be interesting. They have that um, that new kind of ballot up there, rank choice. So the first oh, four people yeah. mm-hmm. go on, and then there's a runoff. It's the most ridiculous thing. I've seen it in New York. I've seen it in Maine. It's the most ridiculous way to vote. I mean, we're supposed to make voting easier, not more confusing. Yeah. Now, um, when did you talk to her for your piece in the New York Post? Um, over the weekend. Okay. Uh, and w- what made her decide to run this time? Um, obviously, an, o- an opening came up because a longtime congressman, the only one in the state, died. Uh, was she just right. waiting for that to happen, do you think? No. I think, you know, part of the um, encouragement came from Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. He felt that she, you know, thought that she should step her toe back into American politics. And I think that her life is a little more settled now. Four of her five children are out of the home. Um, uh, you know, three of them have have grandchildren. She's actually the grandmother of nine. Wow. Um, I know. I hope people go and read it at selenazito.com. Um, it's, it's a really, she's very comfortable with me. I was the first print reporter to interview her in 2008. And, and so there's a comfort level there. Um, so it's sort of a very dishy, very interesting interview. Uh, we, we we talked for, I mean, that story could be like three times as long. We talked for over three hours. Um, so, um, not three hours, I'm sorry, an hour and a half. Yeah. And so, um, it was, um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great stuff in there. And, um, so do you find her to be very genuine? Is she, the, is she the same person that, uh, she appears to be publicly? 
nothing about Sarah is fake. Um, she is who she is. She doesn't ever walk away from it. She doesn't try to pretend to be anybody else. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a I have a post of her and I interviewing in 2008 on my Instagram. People can check it out. There's a picture of the two of us. And she's sitting there in the chair. She has like a nice suit on, but she also has her feet tucked up, and she has no. And she has t- kicked her shoes off. <laughs> so you know, it's it's a great, great photo, um, and and it just shows that she doesn't she isn't anybody else's girl but her own. Yeah, I liked her right from the beginning. Um, I saw her uh, in an interview with Charlie Rose, um, and I had. And I, I, I'd read about her somewhere, and I was doing a talk show somewhere else at the time, and and uh, this was long before she be, became the nominee for the for vice president. But uh, McCain was already running, and it was, so it was that that far in. But I said, I I've went on the air and said, this is this is the person who uh, I would pick to be vice president. Uh, being a woman, yeah. number one, was a big part of it, but she just seemed so uh, real and so unpolitician. That uh, just seemed yeah. like a perfect choice, and uh, I think she was a good choice. And uh, the Republicans didn't, didn't know what to do with her was their problem. Yeah, she was completely down to earth um, and very just sort of very um, interesting person. It's just like someone you know that in the neighborhood, right? Yeah. Or someone you run into the grocery store and you have a conversation about things that matter. And, and that's the kind of person that she, she is. I don't think that will ever change about um, a Sarah. What I will say is I think that the press has never understood that appeal, but voters in the conservative populist coalition, they understood it immediately and were immediately drawn to her. Yeah, and uh, she um, also just uh, she had the right she had she had the right policies and she wasn't afraid to express them when some Republicans even to this day uh, won't say publicly what they think because they're afraid of uh, they're afraid of the media and the media have already yeah. started trashing Sarah Palin but I got a feeling she's ready for that yeah absolutely you know it's very rare in, in my um, in my career to find people like that um, uh, Rick Perry was very much like that uh, the governor of Texas yeah. he, he was he was very um, authentic and real um, uh, and um, um, who else? Oh, I think in Pennsylvania, I think someone that's like that is Dave McCormick. Um, I've, been, mm-hmm. I've, I've been following them all around. But, you know, he's um, he's the one that seems to me to be sort of the most genuine. And, I mean, he has that sort of yinder quality yeah. about him. Yeah. Because he's, <laughs> um, and, you know, that is, people are attracted um, to people who seem grounded, mm-hmm. right? Who's to people who seem to be sort of comfortable in their own skin and not afraid to talk about issues because it's not politically correct. And and those are the the politicians, um, and and they're all outsiders, right? Sarah was an outsider. Mm-hmm. Um, Rick Perry was, you know, um, he was definitely an outsider, and so is McCormick. And and you see you see it rarely, but when you do see it, you're like. Oh, yeah, there it is. And she's dating a former Penguin, Ron Duguay, who was... Uh, Wait, he like, was a Penguin, too? Oh, yeah, he played the Penguins two years. Um, two seasons. I don't know if it was two full seasons, but... Uh, That's right! Oh, uh, my gosh! And uh, he was uh, he was one of the last guys to not wear a helmet, because they grandfathered yep. helmets in, 
And he when he uh, the, the women he was just uh, he was the the women loved him. He was good good looking guy. Still is uh, seeing his picture uh, in your piece at the New York Post. But uh, and he had the long flowing hair, and now she's dating him. Right. <laughs> That's exactly right, and 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 that's really that's a, you know she's very um, it, she really comes out and talks about the, the shock of her divorce, but yeah. also talking about this newfound love with Duguay and I think it's it's a very human moment, and and I you know that's why I hope people go read it. And yeah, uh, we're talking to uh, Selena Zito. You can read the piece at NewYorkPost.com. You can also see it at selenazito.com, S-A-L-E-N-A-Z-I-T-O.com. Um, so um, what, what's she go- is she going to win this thing? Um, well, you it's, know, I'm going to have to go up there. I wasn't a, able to go up there. It's not a slam dunk, though, um, you don't think? Um, it, you know, I think the, the, it favors her for sure. Yeah. Uh, but I need to get up there and interview people. So I'll probably do that in the next couple of weeks. And honestly, Alaska in May is absolutely gorgeous. Well, are you going to drive up the way you normally do on the, all the back roads, or are you going to fly? That's, a, that's kind of a long drive. I know, but it's also a horrendous long three flight, six flights in total. Oh. Um, so uh, knowing me, I'll probably drive. You will drive? <laughs> Wait a minute. You're going to drive. I love it, by the way. You're going to drive to Alaska. You're going to get a mobile home or something, aren't you? <laughs> no, I'm not going to get a mobile home. Come on. <laughs> no, take my Jeep. <laughs> that, that's, so you'll drive. You, you're little Selena Zito. You're going to get in your car, and you're going to drive to Alaska by yourself? With, with the exception of Hawaii, uh, there is a state that I haven't driven to and through and around uh, which is why I always end up with hundreds of thousands of miles on my Jeep. <laughs> you, and you, what are you driving? Uh, a right Jeep? now, Jeep, Jeep, Grand Grand Cherokee. Okay, so it's not a Wrangler. An old one. I, I, I thought maybe on a Wrangler you take the top off. You know, um, uh, I would love that. <laughs> well, I'd like to. I, I'd, I would love to make that trip. I, I would love to drive from here to Alaska. I'd do it in five seconds if I could come up with a good excuse to do it. So I'll be looking forward to that story, uh, Selena. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Have a great weekend. Oh, you too. That's Selena Zito. Check it out at NewYorkPost.com. Sarah Palin is back, and I love it. It's going to make heads explode all throughout the liberal world. I'll be right back. I'm Jeremy House in Washington. The United Nations says Secretary General Antonio Guterres plans to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin next week to make an urgent face-to-face plea for peace in Ukraine. A U.N. spokesman says Guterres wants to discuss steps that can be taken immediately to stop the fighting and help civilians get to safety. Also on SRNews.com, firefighters are bracing for the return of the ferocious winds in the southwest after a brief reprieve allowed them to attack flames from the air for the the first time in days as a half dozen large wildfires continue to grow in Arizona and New Mexico. President Sean McIntyre says he knows the flames are close to his house, but he's hoping his family won't have to leave. We are ready for any moment um, that if we need to jump, we can get out of here. McIntyre's comments were aired on KNXV-TV. This is SRN News. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. 
The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy! Back in the day, Pittsburgh cranked out a lot of steel. We helped build this country. Our steel went into the Empire State Building. The Golden Gate Bridge? Yeah, you'll find it there too. These days, we're about more than steel, but we're still producing something strong. You can see it in the eyes of our kids. That same resolve, that same blue-collar ethic forged in the fires of hard work and history. And one day soon, they'll help build this country all over again. We're Pittsburgh Strong. We're AM 1250. The answer. Spring is here and riding season has begun. This is John Steigerwald and Pitt Cycles has the new ride you're looking for. Or accessorize your current bike with their vast selection of parts, accessories, and riding gear. With demand outstripping supply for Indian motorcycles, now's the time to place your pre-sold order. Or choose their new Triumph line with 30 bikes currently in stock for immediate delivery. Pitt Cycles, your home for Indian, Triumph, KTM, Royal Enfield, and later this summer, BMW. Check them out at PittCycles.com. Are you tired of that wet, moldy basement? If so, then it's time for G&J Waterproofing, award-winning service with no gimmicks. And now, exclusively offering mold remediation with every job done. Bybactronics, the number one company when it comes to mold remediation. G&J and Bactronics, the two best all in one. Call today for your free inspection, 724-681-8944. In November of 2020, the Democrats were up to no good. They were planning to pull off the greatest scheme of election fraud never before seen. They didn't think we would catch them, but we did. 2,000 Mules is a film that tells the story of the ones who tried to hijack a presidential election. You'll see the video surveillance. You'll see the tracking of their cell phones as the Mules go box to box trying to steal the election. Watch the movie and decide for yourself. Attend a limited release premiere of 2,000 Mules on May 2nd or May 4th. Check your local listings and get your tickets today at 2,000mules.com. That's the number, 2,000mules.com. AM 1250 and FM 92.5, The Answer. WPGP, Pittsburgh, a division of Salem Media Group. Listen on The Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart or odyssey stuck in traffic we've got the answer finishing up our friday with delays continuing on the parkway west stacking up inbound between green tree and the fort pitt tunnel parkway east also remains heavy on the outbound side from oakland up to edgewood swiss vale minor delays on crosstown boulevard making your way down to liberty bridge wood street block downtown with construction liberty avenue to oliver avenue and sixth avenue block between smithfield street and liberty avenue that's a look at traffic i'm jenny robinson AM 1250, The Answer. 
Weather. Overcast skies for tonight with a passing shower. Tonight's low 50, a passing morning shower tomorrow. Otherwise, clouds breaking for some sunshine will reach a high of 79. Partly cloudy and mild tomorrow night with a low of 60. Partly sunny Sunday, very warm. One of the warmest days of the year so far will reach a high Sunday of 82. Monday, cloudy, a couple of showers and a thunderstorm, high 77. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm Drew Shannon. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, by now, you'd have to think that a lot of Americans have begun to uh, tune out the news coming from Ukraine. Not that they're immune to the horrific pictures that everybody sees, but the stories are the same every day, and there doesn't seem to be any end in sight. And maybe lots of people are wondering what winning is going to look like or would look like. I know I am. And Doug Bandow is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. He's a former advisor to Ronald Reagan, and he joins us now. Doug, thanks for coming on the show. Happy to be on. So you wrote uh, at Cato.org with this headline, the piece had this headline, Washington will fight Russia to the last Ukrainian. Um, would it be safe to say that you don't think the U.S. and NATO are doing the Ukrainian people any favors? Yeah, what I'd say is that it makes sense to help defend them, but it's also important to do whatever we can to try to find a peace, you know, peaceful end here. And I worry that there's this tendency to say we really want to bloody the Russians, which one can understand, but in practice what that means is bloodying the Ukrainians even more. And that's really doing no favors for them. So are we talking about a, a war by proxy here? Uh, are we, meaning the United States, uh, responsible for keeping it going with no real price to pay ourselves except, uh, I guess, money, because uh, we're sending billions of dollars over there? Well, I'm worried that that's the way that it ends up. You know, that, uh, you know, if you're not giving equal attempt in terms of what would it take to try to settle this, you know, how to, you know what, what would a peace settlement look like, what can the Ukrainians live with, what can we convince the Russians to accept, that if you don't give that equal weight, then there's a tendency where it kind of looks like you're really just trying to push the war, you know, and you start telling the Ukrainians, well, now, you know, don't settle too easily. You know, I worry that what we're doing is you know, kind of doing essentially what we did for 14 years. We'd love to have you in NATO when, in fact, no, nobody really wanted them in NATO. Yeah, um, it's, and it, I guess it's 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 kind of easy to keep uh, prodding or encouraging the government of Ukraine and the military of Ukraine to keep fighting when you really have no real skin, literally skin in the game. You know, the, uh, you don't have... American troops getting shot at and killed. So that's exactly right. I mean, they have four or five million refugees. I mean, the economy is a catastrophe. And nobody wants to go back to even Kiev if they're going to, if you still worry about it being bombed. You know, the soldiers, uh, I mean, are dying. We don't know the casualty levels because the Ukrainians haven't told us, but no doubt an awful lot of Ukrainian soldiers have either died or been captured or wounded. And you look at uh, you know, the cities that have been bombarded, you see the wreckage that's left behind. You know, the war is being fought in Ukraine. It's not being fought in Russia. You know, so it really is kind of easy to say, oh, we love you. Why don't you fight hard? Really you know, give it to them. When you know, the problem is you know, they're not planting crops. You know, no, you know, kids aren't being able to go to school. You know, families are disrupted. I mean, this is, this is a real tragedy. And if you're a, uh, the average Ukrainian citizen, um, you have to be wondering. I, I'm just trying to think if, if you know, if we were at war with with Canada, and uh, and Canada was bombing us and, and bombing my neighborhood, and I and I had to leave, 
And uh, I know that when I get back, my house isn't going to be there, nor is the place where I worked, and a lot of my friends are going to be dead. Um, what kind of morale are they supposed to have? What, what, what are they going to see when this is over? What's in it for them? Well, that's the scary part, is that you know, an awful lot of the cities, uh, even if they've been held by the Ukrainians, have had a huge amount of damage. You know, you figure economically, uh, the, you know, the World Bank and other organizations figure that the Ukrainian economy will probably drop by about 45 percent. I mean, almost in half. I mean, imagine that if you're living in the U.S., your neighborhood's wiped out, your house has been destroyed, the economy's a disaster. You know, and they're still fighting a couple hundred miles away. I mean, you know, the problem is it's very hard to carry on your life. So it strikes me that the... the I mean, the absolute essential thing that we want is to end the fighting. The question is, what would that take? I mean, maybe it's impossible. Maybe the Russians want too much. Maybe the Ukrainians, you know, are quite prepared to, you know, fight as long as necessary. But the U.S. needs to be responsive and supportive if Ukrainians say, yeah, we want to find it out here, you know, and and back us up in terms of how can we find that out. Well, if Russia and Ukraine would would stop fighting tomorrow, um, what would be left for the Ukrainian people, what, where do you begin? What happens? Well, the starting point would be, you know, to end the fighting and then decide. I mean, in essence, you know, the Russians want some territory. So the question the Ukrainians are going to have to ask: Are they prepared to fight forever to try to keep that territory or to get it back, or would they at least, you know, accept a ceasefire, then perhaps a negotiation? <laughs> I mean, this is a difficulty that, despite Russia having utterly botched you know, the invasion to start, it still has kind of mass on its side. And the fear is that in the Donbass, you know, that they put enough troops together that they can take more territory. And while the Ukrainians have been phenomenal at using technology and defense, it's just not obvious that they can put together an offensive to try to clear their own territory of the Russians. You know, so then you've set up for an almost endless war unless you're able to come together and decide, okay, What's the division here? How do we stop this? Again, it's an endless war, but it's not an endless war for the United States, uh, aside from uh, the fact that we keep sending money over there. Exactly. Uh, um, and, and uh, you know, people over here aren't being affected by it at all. Well, we are being affected. We're going to eventually be affected by it because of for- food shortages and everything that, you know, we've been hearing about. But uh, when, when American uh, families aren't suffering the loss of their sons and daughters from being over there is just where's the incentive for for the uh, United States to end it? Well, that's right. I think that what we have to recognize is that it, it's, it certainly makes sense to be very pleased at how well the Ukrainians have done, but we have to recognize that simply saying raw, raw is very easy for us because we don't pay any of the cost, you know, and the, the Ukrainians <laughs> are. And there, I just worry that there's a, this element within some of the foreign policy community that they think this is a great opportunity to try to wreck the Russians. So isn't this wonderful? You'll know, pour more weapons in without worrying about the fact that, yeah, the only way you do that, frankly, is you wreck Ukraine. And, and that, as you indicated, they pay the price. We, we watch and we, we applaud and we don't pay the price they're paying. How much of it do you think, I know there's no way of knowing this for sure, but you've been around uh, Washington for a while and you know how this stuff works. Um, how much of this is just a, a, a fervent desire to see Putin out of there and that no matter what happens, it's worth it to have him gone? Well, I think that is very powerful. I mean, 
you know, the president's remarks about, you know, he shouldn't be allowed to stay. And then, you know, basically people at the White House kind of said, oh, Mr. President, we, we really shouldn't be calling for regime change because, you know, if you, if you tell Putin the only thing you'll accept is his exit, that means the war is going to be tougher, far worse, far longer, et cetera. That, yeah, I mean, there's good reason to want the guy gone. I think the problem is we have to recognize that it's not likely to happen. And there's no, no reason to think that the, whoever replaced him would be a better person. You know, and that if we make that our end, you know, we make it much harder to settle this without, you know, an endless war that, you know, until you hope they, you eventually wear them out. Well, how do you wear the Russians out? You know, I mean, that, that's something where Ukrainians will probably get worn out far sooner. And one of my dad's favorite jokes was uh, a story about a guy, uh, in, uh, a guy in a small town dies. He's known to be just a total rat and everybody hated him and everything. And at the funeral, the the the, uh, the minister, the priest, he says, "Listen, can we can we get someone to say something nice about poor Jack here who died?" And somebody raises his hand in the back of the room and yells out, "His brother was worse." So <laughs> uh, that, that, that's <laughs> that's kind of what you're talking about with Putin. You think that yeah. he's the worst you could possibly get, but this, this is Russia we're talking about. Oh yeah, there are an awful lot of authoritarians and nationalists there. You know who don't have a conscience and are quite happy to kill, uh, and Putin. Until this latest thing, I mean, that's that's the thing which has surprised so many people. Until the invasion of you know, Ukraine, I mean, he was seen as pretty rational in what he did. I mean, he succeeded for the most part when he did the things he did in terms of taking part of the Donbass and Crimea. I mean, all this stuff was ruthless, but he you know, he moderated his ambitions. He kind of knew what he was doing. You know, and the feeling was that he was much more the pragmatist. That you know, he used some of this nationalist rhetoric. It was convenient and useful, but there were some people around him who really believed the stuff, and those are the people we feared. You know, and they're still there. And uh, you know, I'd hate to have that. You know, if they took power, it's not at all clear we'd be any better off. Yeah, and how much um, should uh, how much blame should be put on the United States and uh, at the Allies, NATO, I guess, um, for? Um, kind of goading Putin into this? Well, I think that we made a huge mistake, you know, that, that we basically went back on assurances that were given. There were plenty of assurances. We have, you know, diplomatic documents that are filled with these things. You know, and Putin talked about this, you know, back in 2007 at a famous speech in Munich. I mean, this, this is stuff that bothered the Russians. They made it very clear over the years. You know, I mean, our activities in terms of kind of promoting regime change, what we did in Serbia, had an impact on not just the Russian government, but also the Russian people who took it very badly. You know, these were allies and friends of theirs, and we kind of tore their country apart. So what I'd say is that we helped set the stage. I mean, the critical thing to realize is he made the decision. So, you know, I mean, he's to blame. So, that, you know, that we have to just accept that Putin is the guy who made this decision. It's an awful decision. But for our own purposes, we need to be aware that you make bad policy, you can actually encourage this to happen. And I think we may have had an opportunity along the way, if we'd been willing to talk about ending NATO expansion, that we might very well have diverted this and kind of held this off. You know, at this point, you know, that's water under the bridge, but we need to know what we're doing and think about it in the future and try not to make the same mistakes. We're talking to Doug Bandow. He's a senior fellow at the Cato Institute, former advisor to Ronald Reagan. Um, so is, is it – it's almost like um, you – especially if you are in government, but if you're a, if you're a commentator, uh, a, 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 you know, a columnist, whatever, you're, you're not allowed 
to even try to put yourself in Putin's position. Because if you do, that means you're pro-Putin, anti-Ukrainian, anti-Ukraine, anti-U.S., anti-American, right? Well, that's right. And I think it's very unfortunate when we try to cut off debate where we need to be aware we make mistakes. And again, I think you know, we go into this saying Putin made the decision, he's responsible, you know, this is an awful thing, the Russians are in the wrong, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't look back and think about what we did, and did we make a mistake, can we do better in the future? Because there's a good argument that what we did, in a sense, <laughs> you know, the, the whole, whole process, we kind of acted as if we were will, willing to fight Russia to the last Ukrainian. I mean, we told the Ukrainians, we love you, we're looking forward to you getting into NATO, when in fact no one in NATO wanted them in. And we did this for 14 years. And some of the Ukrainians today are pretty bitter because they realize that, gee, you guys said all this nice stuff about us, including last fall. I mean, Lloyd Austin, defense secretary, went over. We put out a press release. Pentagon said he's going to be telling the Ukrainians we look forward to them meeting the conditions of being in NATO. You know, this is what we've been saying that for 14 years. We didn't mean it. So we need to learn from this because we don't want to do this again. What would Ronald Reagan do? Yeah, well, you know, I mean, Reagan, I think Reagan would do two things. I mean, I think the, the good thing about him, number one, is he would certainly want to help the Ukrainians. You know, he believed in fighting against tyranny. But at the same time, he recognized the need for peace. I mean, this is a man who was horrified by the thought of the potential of nuclear war. I mean, left-wingers accused him of being a rogue cowboy, but that was so completely untrue. I mean, he came up with the idea of missile defense because, you know, he's briefed that now if the Russians shoot off a bunch of missiles, our only defense is to shoot off ours. You know, and he kind of sat there and said, so the only thing I can do is murder millions of, you know, uh, Russian civilians. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he was horrified by that. So I think he's one who would say, yes, we're tough. You take tough stands, but you also look for peace. You talk. He decided that with the Soviets that things got a little too dicey, and by the you know in his first term he said I better talk to these people. When Gorbachev came along, he recognized he had somebody different he could deal with. So I think that's what we're missing today, is that push to say yeah we help the Ukrainians, but at the same time we make it clear we want peace, and we try to push that option as well, help the Ukrainians not only defend themselves but also seek peace, and we should be involved as well. We need to talk to the Russians, so do the Europeans. We're talking to uh, Doug Bandow. He's senior fellow at the Cato Institute, former advisor to Ronald Reagan. So this is Russia we're dealing with now and not the Soviet Union. What's the difference? I mean, I know the obvious differences, but what's the difference in, in, in our position versus Russia in this case? Well, one is that they're not ideological communists. I mean, Putin's a nationalist. He's not a communist. That, I mean, the KGB tended to be the most cynical people, which is what he was, worldly, understood the world. Uh, you know, so we're, we're not dealing with somebody who's they want to run around the world and create revolutions and everything. I mean, they, you know, they're, they, this is essentially a great power, pre-1914 Russian Empire. You know, they want to be treated with respect. They want their interests respected. And that, so that's a better position to be in. Second thing is they're far weaker, you know, which has, I mean, the good news for us is that we're far stronger, especially conventionally. The bad news is that means they're more likely to go to nuclear weapons sooner. Because, you know, that's the way they kind of redress the weakness. We essentially did that in the Cold War, is that the Soviets had a bigger army, so we threatened maximum, uh, you know, kind of retaliation. We threatened to use nuclear weapons to defend Europe. Well, the Russians are kind of in the reverse. That's why we have to be very careful here. Ukraine matters more to them than us. Look at a map. 
you know, that, uh, you know, and, you know, Putin is going to be what he can't really afford to lose in his mind. This is a guy who knows that he's, uh, you know, he could lose a conventional war. We have to be very careful. I think the president has that we don't want a war with the Russians ourselves. Um, you don't buy the theory that Putin is just uh, going to bed every night dreaming of the USSR and having it become a, uh, a reality again? Well, what I'd say is that if he's dreaming about it, I don't think he has any illusions about making it happen. Look, the guy's been in power 22 years, a little more, you know, you know and what has he done to kind of recreate the, uh, the Soviet Union? Essentially nothing. We got Crimea back, which long was part of, uh, you know, Russia. It was given away by Khrushchev, probably part of internal politics. You know, and then he has some influence over the Donbass and over, you know, a couple of little territories uh, with Georgia, which are, you know, basically semi-independent Abkhazia, South Ossetia. That's not much of a conquest. So I just don't see him having any illusions, the notion that he's going to be able to go over and snap all these other places up. He hasn't tried. He's always talked about Ukraine, always talked about NATO. And he has a special vision for Ukraine that he hasn't articulated for anybody else. He doesn't talk about the Baltics that way, being kindred peoples, that kind of thing. You know, and, and the good news is the Ukrainians have done such a job. I think he knows that he can't take over other places. You know, there, there's, there's not going to be some revived Red Army marching to the Atlantic. It simply ain't going to happen. I got about 15 seconds left, Doug. How, how, when's it going to, what's going to happen? When's this going to end? And where are we going to be on, let's say, the 4th of July? We could still see fighting on the 4th of July. I think it's tragic if so. I think it's less likely if we get in there and really push for peace, make it clear to the Ukrainians we back them either way, but indicate we desire to end this and we'll do anything we can to do so. Doug, I appreciate you coming on the show. Great stuff. Thank you. Happy to be on. You take care. Okay, you too. That's Doug Bandow of the Cato Institute. We'll be right back. Fruits and vegetables in a capsule, changing the world one life at a time. This product is life changing, and I tell everyone what a blessing down to nature. Fruits and vegetables is just amazing, absolutely phenomenal. I'm telling you right now, this is an amazing thing. 30 days after taking this, everything is, is perfect. I could not be more happy. What a blessing! So good job, down to nature. Good job. Get a wide variety of all your daily recommended servings of whole fruits and vegetables without having to leave your home. Right now, Balance of Nature is offering free shipping and 35% off on any new preferred order. Call 800-246-8751. That's 800-246-8751 or by going to balanceofnature.com and make sure to receive this special radio offer by using discount code balance. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? I mean, they go back to college, learn new instruments, start skateboarding. Okay, maybe that one's not for everybody, but saving for retirement is. With aceyourretirement.org, you can get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. Just have a three-minute chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach from AARP. You'll get personalized recommendations based on your input that are easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Woohoo! 
snarly move, Dad. Thanks, sweetie. So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Are you wondering if this year you'll still be asking why it seems so easy for other people to find love, but so hard for me? If you're feeling the pain of being alone and are tired of everyone around you finding their soulmates and leaving you behind, then get ready to remove the barriers to finding the marriage of your dreams and start believing it's possible for you. Hi, I'm Jackie Dorman. Join me in my Married in 12 Months Challenge, where I'll teach you why now is your time to find love, what are the lies that are holding you back, why God wants you to be married, the biblical law of attraction, and the tools you need to become a bride. Listen, if you deeply desire to be married, but you're still single, you should be doing something about it. Sign up for my free Married in 12 Months 5-Day Challenge at lovestories.com. The only thing you have to lose is the pain of being alone on your journey. So join me at lovestories.com. That's lovestories.com. Dr. Mehmet Oz confessed, quote, I'm not socially conservative. Mehmet Oz is a liberal on guns. Listen to him in his own words. How do we keep guns out of the wrong person's hands? Red flag laws. Even worse, Oz supported New Zealand-style forced government gun buybacks, tracking gun owners with universal licensing, and an assault rifle ban. No wonder Mehmet Oz confessed, quote, I'm not socially conservative. Mehmet Oz, a Hollywood liberal and total fraud. Dave McCormick, he's an Iraq combat veteran with a bronze star. He's a proud son of Pennsylvania and a sportsman. Dave McCormick is a conservative who you can trust to stand up to the woke liberal mob and protect your Second Amendment rights. Honor Pennsylvania, Inc. is responsible for the content of this advertising. Not authorized by any candidate or candidate's committee. Paid for by Honor Pennsylvania, Inc. HonorPennsylvania.com. This is the John Stackerwalt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Yeah, I, I really have to apologize. I forgot to, uh, I forgot to wish you a happy uh, Earth Day. I don't know if you knew it or not. Today is Earth Day. April 22nd is always Earth Day. And I remember where I was uh, for the first Earth Day because I'm an old guy. And I was, uh, I was on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. I was a college kid. Uh, I don't think, yeah, I was I was still in college because I was in and out of college for a long time. But anyway, I was a college kid, and I don't remember caring a lot about Earth Day. I don't know. It's, you know, I was on the beach in Fort Lauderdale. It was about 85 degrees. But I, I did come across this. This is interesting because, um, you know, with what's going on now, this, this is uh, something that was sent to the president from uh, Brown University after, uh, after some research. It says, uh, Aware of your deep concern with the future of the world, we feel obliged to inform you on the results of the scientific conference held here recently. The conference dealt with the past and future changes of climate and was attended by 12 top American and European investigators. We enclose the summary report published in Science and further publications are forthcoming in quaternary research. And this is, the, this is, this is in the uh, letter that was sent to the president. The main conclusion of the meeting was that a global deterioration of climate by order of magnitude larger than any hitherto experienced by civilized mankind is a very real possibility and indeed may be due here soon. The cooling, cooling 
has natural cause and falls within the rank of processes which produce the last ice age. This is surprising. This is a surprising result based largely on recent studies of deep sea sediments. So they were on to it. Only problem was this was written in 1972, 50 years ago. And uh, they produced they predicted the ice age by 2070. So you have 48 years. Somebody called John Kerry. And I uh, thank you for listening this week, and I'll talk to you on Monday. Bye. The John Steigerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.